You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to a special episode. Let me let me say it again. A special episode of Extra Takes. Well, we are in our series, our cultural engagement series, Hamilton Through the Eyes of the Gospel, but we wanted to kind of take a another moment this month and engage in another conversation around cultural engagement. And so today I have with me not only my co-host, Matt Shiles, but I have a governing elder with me, Vince Taylor. I have a elder, Joe Curtis. You know Joe from a couple of weeks ago, and he's actually been a, a, a co-host guest, and he actually had forgotten to give me my carrot cake, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But he and, redeemed himself. He did redeem himself. Thank you. And bro- brought me a big honkin', honkin', you know, piece of carrot cake. And then we have our executive pastor to me, senior pastor, Derwin Anderson. And so we're actually going to have a conversation around Juneteenth. Now, I'll just be honest, growing up, I had no idea about Juneteenth until actually a few years ago. And I think it's just important for us as a church to really carve out some some good space to have good, honest dialogue about some cultural engagement issues. And I think this is one, because how does the church engage with a holiday like Juneteenth? So with that, I'm going to kind of turn it over to Vince and let him kind of share really more so the, the history of Juneteenth. So Vince, take it away. Uh, thank you, Pastor Josh, and uh, it's good to be here with you. I enjoy the broadcast and keep doing the good work that you are doing. Uh, Juneteenth is the oldest black holiday in the United States, and it actually started prior to the date that most people are familiar with, and that would be the um, date of June 19th, 1965. Or 1865. 1865. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Good catch. Yeah. Good catch. Yeah. That's right. 1965 would have been an altogether different situation. I'm sure there was a lot going on in 1965. Right. In doing some research, I noticed that on September 22nd of 1962, Abraham Lincoln actually put out a precursor to the Emancipation Proclamation that where where he actually told people that if the rebels did not end their fighting uh, and rejoin the Union Army by January 1st, 1963, all states— We're in the wrong century, but I, I I'm following you, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. 1863, so. that all slaves in the rebellious states would be free. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln was trying to get the war to subside somewhat. Mm. But as a result of the Confederate states not choosing to take up that mantle that was offered to them on January 1st of 1863, Mm -hmm. the slaves were pronounced free by President Lincoln and the proclamation came that day. But not every one in the Confederate states would immediately be free. Even though the emancipation was made, Mm -hmm. it could not be implemented in places still under Confederate control. 
as a result of the westernmost Confederate state of Texas, enslaved people would not be free until much later. Mm. Freedom finally came, now get this, on June 19th, 1865, hmm. when some 2,000 Union troops arrived in Galveston Bay, Texas, the Army announced that the more than 20, I'm sorry, the more than 250,000 enslaved hmm. people in the state were free by executive decree. This day came to be known as Juneteenth by the newly freed people in Texas. And let me tell you, during the time of Reconstruction, things just absolutely took off. So that's kind of a brief summary about Juneteenth. Yeah, so almost like Perfect. two years, Very good. you know, had, had passed. Two and so, a half. Two and a half. Yeah. So President Lincoln makes the Emancipation Proclamation, but it takes almost two and a half years for it to travel all the way down to Texas so that those black slaves there in Texas would hear that they had been emancipated, that they had been freed. So, wow, two and a half years. And just yeah. to note also, there wasn't a lot of fighting or major battles in Texas also. So Texas was kind of off by itself, mm -hmm. and that's why it took so long to actually get there. Wow. That information, get in there. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks so much for, for that, Vince, just the, the general history. Because, again, I, I, I know that... I did not know that until a few years ago, and and I think that within our kind of cultural context, especially, I mean, even in the last several years, there's been this heightened tension, again, racial tension. It seems like it's almost cyclical, um, and and I think it's just important for us to know the history behind things. And so, Matt, I'll kind of turn it over sure. to, to you. Yeah, the um, the history is is so very important. I think we can so often um, make judgments on things based on our uh, where we are in culture today. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, I was the same way. I, I grew up, I didn't, didn't know about it. I hadn't heard about it until a, a few years ago. And, uh, and it's fascinating to, you know, we, we, we grow up learning about the Emancipation Proclamation, but, um, you know, history is, uh, is lost on the youth. <laughs> I'm a lot more interested in history these days than I was back when I was, I was learning about it. So, yeah, it's it's fascinating to see the Emancipation Proclamation was was during the Civil War and this Juneteenth came 2 months after essentially the or two well 2 months two, two, 2 months after the war ended, but it was yeah. two and a half years after the proclamation. So, mm -hmm. um there's um the, there's so much uh, interesting nuance when you look at the history and you um, you look at the struggle. Matt, so can I, when I, can I jump in and just say one other thing about sure. that, one of the things that I think is interesting is that we we have to recognize that Lincoln had a vice president by the name of Andrew Johnson, and Andrew Johnson was a slaveholder, mm -hmm. and as a result of his position of of being a slaveholder, many of the progress that much of the progress that was made during Abraham Lincoln was kind of halted when he came into being. And I can imagine just thinking out of the box here that he was not real excited about making sure the news traveled throughout the territories as quickly as possible. So that's something we need to keep in the picture also. Sure. So let's look at, um, I want to ask the group, how has the black church historically viewed Juneteenth? What does that look like? Well, 
I'm glad you asked that question because I've explained this to several pastors who are not of African-American descent. And there is a traditional ceremony that takes place in black churches all across the United States and different parts of the world where the American culture has moved to. And that is a culture known as watch night. Mm. A lot of people, even in the black church, don't understand the significance or recognize why watch night is so important. Watch night is actually when the slaves gather together because one of the few places that African-Americans could assemble with a certain level of freedom was in the church, even during slavery times. But that was limited also. But. On New Year's Eve, the black church assembled the entire congregation and they literally sat there and watched the time tick off Mm. until the new year of January 1st, 19, I'm sorry, 1863, (laughs) right, right, 1863. And that was the beginning of what we commonly refer to now as watch night services. Mm. That means that they watched freedom Mm. come into the building. Mm. And that made that extremely significant, so much so that it is still celebrated to this day. Again, many African-American churches don't recognize that, but that is the etiology of January 1st and watch night services. And I think that is really interesting because growing up in a, uh, a all-black Catholic church uh, in Washington, D.C., we didn't celebrate Juneteenth. And it wasn't until, I would say, high school, college that I heard about Juneteenth. Mm. But there were certain things that we actually would do as a church as in watch night, mm. but the history behind watch night was not there. Oh, okay. It was made to be seen as a, all right, we're bringing in the new year together. And understanding watch night later and hearing about it and looking it up, the same things that we would do were be considered as what was going on at watch night, but we didn't know the history of it. Mm. It was just more kind of passed down of kind of a Catholic church tradition at that time. And from what I understand, this was a night of um, of anticipation, of celebration, of of prayer, and really expectancy. Um, so, can you guys just? I'll throw this out to the group, and I would love to hear all the different uh, perspectives. So, can you just talk a little bit more? I know Joe, you just got into that, but but what has what has this meant to you um, this day? And, and some of it is, is, is from young and some of it, um, we're coming into it, um, just, just a few years. So I'd love to hear everyone's perspective of, uh, of their viewpoint. Cause we have, um, we, we have a good spectrum of, of viewpoints here on this panel. And, um, I just want to get you guys, get you guys talking. <laughs> well, um, I will tell you just the, where I grew up in, the environment that I grew up in, the black history was was big mm. and understanding it and going to uh, uh, the college that I went to. I went to Lehigh University in the 80s, graduated in the 90s. Uh, we had to fight for a lot of different recognition, uh, getting some recognition of black history. Mm. 
uh, so much that we were even fighting to, and I say fight, more of just the kind of process, but it did feel like a fight. I mean, to get the acknowledgement, to get an African-American studies class in. We finally got one set, but it took years of fighting and getting the process actually done in the group of us. And it was students that were really pushing this through. So understanding that, and I think wanting to make sure that understanding and recognition was there. Because that's what I think which was missing, missing, uh, especially just understanding that there's a lot of history that was either not talked about or buried or not wanting, of course, not wanting to be talked about and bringing that out to make sure that it's at least talked about. Mm. And that's what I've, I've always wanted to do, make sure just that. It's talked about Mm. because I'm one of those conversationalists. So I love to make sure that we at least talk Mm -hmm. and find out what's important for there. So the holiday for it, uh, the Juneteenth holiday, just to kind of close that out, uh, really did not come about, or at least my acknowledgement and understanding of it didn't come out until high school, college, and more of understanding a lot of different things. Sure. So Pastor Derwin? Yeah, for me... It was really a thing, almost like Joe, that it wasn't until I went to college that I knew anything about Juneteenth. Now, different perspective for me, too. My parents are from Guyana, South America, so I didn't grow up with the thought of American black history as much as I grew up with the thought of black history in Guyana, so Afro-Caribbean black history. And so when I went to college and I was in, you know, Black Student Union, and I also was in the gospel choir, I started to hear these rumblings of things because I was around more people Mm. that experienced this and had family that experienced civil rights movement and all these things. So that's when it became something for me of, wow, I want to know more about this. I want to understand the significance. I want to know why I didn't know about this as a a child. Mm. Why was this something that was left out of history, American history books? Mm. And so um, for me, then it became this quest of understanding why, because I love to bits and pieces of of history, and I love to Mm. get these understandings. And so then it became, wow, why was something so significant left out of our history books? And um, so, so yeah, for me, it wasn't something that I grew up with and, and it was endearing from that standpoint, but it was endearing from the standpoint of this is, this is an important part of our history. You know, you, you have our, our nation was built on the backs of slaves, but yet something so significant and important is left out of the history books and why. Mm. And um, so I think it's important for us, and, and we're going to get there, I know, as the church to make sure that we talk about these things and, and even listen to differing voices and differing vantage points because we all don't have the same history in regards to how we even come to the table with our understanding and our knowledge. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so very important because we can, um, you know, on the surface, honestly, we can just look at you, Pastor Darwin, and think African-American and, and you grew up with this, a certain history without getting to know you that'd be totally wrong, right? You didn't, and you have uh, such a, a unique and different perspective on, uh, on many of these uh, topics because of that. Right, and even, I guess you could say, people like me that are almost considered third culture kids, yep. like a missionary child, yep. where I, I was born in the United States, but a lot of my understanding of life comes from a Caribbean background. Right. My parents being from South America, 
And so I don't view things like a quote unquote traditional African-American would because I don't have the history. I don't have the family history. Right. So, yeah, the vantage point is completely different. Although I may look the part, I may look like your quote unquote traditional, typical African-American. I'm not Mm. because my family was not here. Nobody in my family was here during the civil rights movement. Mm. So. So what it, what it what it kind of looks like, and and again, this is this from a different perspective, right? Because uh, last I checked, I'm not black. So uh, you know, oh it's really? Like, yeah. Now <laughs> yeah. everybody's not able. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> uh, because undoubtedly, I met you know Derwin. He was telling me about when I you know did the message on Hamilton. I said something about dropping lines or dropping, and he's like, "Bro, you even got that wrong. It's, it's called spitting bars." And spitting I'm like, bars, ah, "Dropping yeah, so lyrics. That, that's that. That's that whiteness coming out." So I didn't know anything was wrong with that (laughs) i knew it sounded up but 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 what's uh, you know what's interesting is it it does seem like juneteenth while it commemorates when the black slaves had heard about their emancipation in texas it actually is the is the holiday that really celebrates the emancipation because you know as i looked up there's there there's not been a quote-unquote national holiday that has celebrated the Emancipation Proclamation, and so when, when you actually when you actually do a search, it really now combines Juneteenth and the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah. So uh, so I you know for for me any, any thoughts about that um, that y'all have? I mean again it was just fascinating to me that there was never that national holiday for the Emancipation, but like Juneteenth in some sense co- combines. What happened, you know, on June 1865 to what took place in 1863? Mm. You know, Dr. King said injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And so the actual ending of slavery was not complete until Juneteenth occurred. Now, let me bring this home for you guys, because I know that we come from different backgrounds. I'm slightly older than just about everybody here in the room. But I want to make this very personal for you. Because uh, I hear from time to time, oh, that was hundreds of years ago. That was oh, so far back. My grandmother's brother was born in slavery. Mm. Is that close enough for you? Your grandmother's brother. My grandmother's oldest brother mm. was born in slavery. So this Juneteenth takes on a whole different atmosphere yeah. for me. As I research my family history and I look at the things that were going on in Oklahoma, Mississippi, in McGee, Mississippi, Mm -hmm. in the Jackson area of Mississippi, Mm -hmm. some of the things that are sometimes termed as creative sufferings Mm -hmm. that took place, it has a whole different feel for me. This was Juneteenth, the establishment of Juneteenth, was the first reach of African Americans to have something that represented them. And you cannot think of the emancipation. I shouldn't say you can't. You shouldn't think of the Emancipation Proclamation without also thinking about Juneteenth Mm -hmm. because the two literally go hand in hand. So it is a holiday that allowed the freed slaves 
to be able to say, this is something that I can look back to. This is something that I can remind my children of here in Texas, because even though they were freed in other parts of the country, that that sickness of desire of of having the ability to oppress another culture carried on for two, as Pastor Joshua said, two and a half years beyond that. But now we can fully say that as a nation, mm-hmm. we have truly emancipated our country and we now have freedom, or at least we're working toward that goal. Yeah, yeah, well said, Vince. So obviously knowing that history um, helps us better understand the importance uh, for you and the importance of, of um, you know, why you're so passionate about this. So let's talk about as the church. So as Christians, why should we recognize this? Because we're not just talking about as Americans here, but as believers, and I think that's a really important aspect of this conversation. So as believers, why should we, why should we recognize this? Well, it's, it's easy and complex, and the easy is <laughs> we are all made in the image of God. And so, as, as Vince said, you know, injustice for anybody is injustice for all. And I'm going to go back to where my parents are from, Guyana. I, I remember as a kid and even as an adult going to Guyana and hearing about, you know, the Native Americans and when they came out of their oppression because they were oppressed in Guyana as well. Mm. And there were Chinese indentured servants that were basically like slaves okay. and Indian from, from India, so East Indians. And then the colonizers were there, the British and the Portuguese. So there's, wow. this, there's a lot of a lot going on. groups, yeah. but yet everybody is celebrated. Hmm. And so I think what, what the difference in America and the difference that we see, even as we're talking about Juneteenth and Pastor Josh, you, you, you said you didn't know about Juneteenth until a few years ago. And, and you're a whole 40-year-old man. How is that possible? Well, I haven't been 40. I haven't been 40 for like four years. <laughs> so you're, 40 now, you're 40 now. You're 40 now. That might be good. Yes, yes. So. But how is that possible that you are just hearing about it? It's because there are certain groups and certain things that are not important to people. And I would even say they're off the radar of the church as well, but we need to put them on the radar of the church. But it's not just about African Americans or Africans, it's 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 everybody. How do we showcase and really share who God has made, the image of God, the image bearers of God in, in everyone? Mm. Okay? Because we're all his creation, we're all his children, unless we've accepted Christ as our Savior, mm. but we bear his image. And so how do we celebrate that in everybody? Sure. When you're a disenfranchised group that continually for from the time that Africans were on this continent, been disenfranchised. It's it's easy to just say, well, oh well, as you said, Vince, that was so long ago. You know, it's not really a big deal. It is a big deal. But then what you have now, and we can even shift conversation if we want to. If you bring these things up and talk about them, you're woke, yeah. and that's that's not woke. That's understanding our history. And wanting to make sure that our history doesn't get lost, because when you lose that, you're losing the essence of who God made and the image bearers that he made and they, the fact that they all need to be celebrated. And it's amazing that a lot of people don't realize or, or recognize that when things were going on in, in the civil rights, the civil rights movement was going on for a while. 
but it did not take off until the church got involved. When Martin Luther King went to the different religious leaders and with that statement of injustice, and they're like, wait a minute, this is true. Mm. That's when the civil rights movement took off. That's when you had all of the different leaders of all the religions coming together and saying, this is not right. And one of the things of just kind of piggybacking off the history and bringing in the Bible, a lot of the Bible was word of mouth and it was stories. If you really think about it, this information of Juneteenth, it wasn't written down. Mm. It was passed on word of mouth. Mm. And because of that is why we still know it today. This is why a lot of the different celebrations or Kwanzaa, word of mouth, not written down, um, Black History Month, which was Black History Week, you know, things like that. It was just all different word of mouth that was going. And those are the stories. That's how we communicate and bringing that it. So just the recognition of it. It's like nowadays, and you're taught, you were just bringing up in society, if you recognize something, either you agree with it or you don't, and we cancel each other out if you don't agree with it. And that's not the thing. We are, as Christians, we are to sit down and to talk. How if we can't conversate with another Christian about an idea that we don't agree upon, go out to a non-Christian and have a conversation about God? We can't do it. Yeah. It, yeah. it can't be done. It's got to be. We got to be able to sit down as a church to talk about it, recognize, look, this is history or recognize this is your point of view. This is my point of view. Great. Because if we can't do that in the family, how am I going to go outside of the family mm. of Christ mm. to talk to somebody about God? Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's well said. Yeah. And the, the things that I kind of wrote down when I thought particularly about this question is as as Christians, we need to recognize the things that are important to three different groups of people. Hmm. The, the first group is really a person, and that's that's the Lord. You know, so we need to recognize the things that are important to Him. Hmm. And I would definitely say, when you look at Juneteenth and the emancipation of of slaves, I would say that that is really important to the Lord. And then the the second thing is. We need to recognize the things that really are important in in, in, in a, a really good, healthy way. Because as believers, we believe in this idea of shalom, uh, total flourishing, and total flourishing for all. Mm. And that as even though as we, we have a secondary citizenship in in, in uh, America, because again, I, I want to make sure I, I I stress this: our secondary citizenship is in America. Our primary citizenship is in heaven. heaven. Yeah. But we need to recognize that things that are important as just citizens of America. And I would say that this as as just a citizen of America but whose primary residence is in heaven, this is something that we should also recognize as, as something that is good. Mm. And then the third thing is that we need to recognize things that are important to our brothers and sisters. I mean, Paul would say if, if one person hurts, we all hurt. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. And so if we have our black brothers and sisters that definitely rejoice and they celebrate something that is very rich in their history, then we're, we're going to do that 
you know, that, that background noise was something that, you know, Vince was, he was stressing that, yes, my brother, he got it right. He got it ding, right. Ding. He, he, yeah. But, but it is something that we recognize, again, as the diverse body of Christ, again, because he's redeeming a people from all peoples. And so we, we can recognize and support such things in a way when you break it down, even in that level of what's important to the Lord, what's important as, as just an American citizen, and then what's important to our brothers and sisters in the larger body of Christ. Mm. In the, the order of um, our citizenship really has uh, massive implications, right? Whether primary or secondary citizenship, right? Yep. Um, and we get into trouble when we think our primary citizenship is America and our secondary citizenship is in heaven. And that's where um, this is very much this conversation and others that we'll have, probably most conversations we'll have about cultural engagement is, is the messy middle. Um, and, and just the fact of bringing up the conversation, as you said, Pastor Derwin, um, creates an opportunity for, um, for, for attacks or just, just negative feelings, right? Um, I know with, without a, um, the right posture, you, know, you, could, you could easily possibly see this topic and say, oh, this topic's not for me, right? But Pastor Josh, as you said, if we are to um, recognize what is, um, what is important to the Lord, what is important to America, what is important to our brothers and sisters, um, we are bringing this up because it is important to the Lord. Uh, it is important to America, and it is important to our brothers and sisters. So, yeah. I think that's a helpful, f- helpful framework. But um, we can't lose sight that our citizenship is first in heaven. Um, it's a it's a great uh, lens to continue continually view things from. Because if not, if we flip those, we get into trouble. You know, it's it's really interesting because there are some who would. Uh, actually believe that slavery was something that was accepted. God never intended for people to be enslaved, in my opinion. And what I mean by that is he says it clearly in the book of 1 Timothy, uh, the first chapter right there. He says that we know the law is good if one uses it properly. We know that the law is not made for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy, the irreligious for those who kill their fathers or mothers. That's who the law is for, for murderers. We got no problem with that. For sexual immoral people, we have no problem with that. For those practicing homosexuality, we have no problem with that. But then it goes on and says for slave traders. Now, I wanted to get that a minute to let that seek in. God gets no joy out of people being enslaved. And it goes on to say for liars and perjurers. And if you look at Christianity, because your question was, why is this important to Christianity? Because to shed the light of truth on anything is important in the eyes of God. God deals from a position of truth. He is the truth. And Hmm. this became so pervasive that in 1807, they literally produced a slave Bible that is now available in the Museum of the Bible in Joestown, the Washington, D.C., where they literally took out all of the references to freedom. <laughs> and they would use this Bible to indoctrinate Africans and black people <laughs> into slavery. So if we're going to truly live out the gospel, we must hold true 
to the tenements of Scripture. And Pastor Josh has already stolen my thunder, but because in Romans 12, 15, it clearly tells us why do we and why is this important to Christianity? Because we should rejoice with those who rejoice and we should weep with those who weep. So we should weep over slavery. But as Christians, we should loudly and resoundingly rejoice and the fact that God saw fit to allow this country to come to its senses and recognize that all men are created equal. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good, Vince. And yeah, and I think that is really, yeah, again, just from the Christian perspective, like I always go back to this idea that we are to seek the common good. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I really do want the church to see that there is. The, the, the separation between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of man, but there's also this overlap. And so when when things do happen in a common grace way that we know ultimately honors the Lord, we ought to recognize that. We ought to celebrate that. And so, but you, you said it much better than, than I could. And so, Matt, you got, I think, one more question for us. Yeah, so that really leads us well into this final question is, is as Christians, so what are the pitfalls— we need to be aware of when engaging culture because you talked about seeking the common good, um, but there are opportunities for pitfalls really at every corner. So can we talk about that a little bit? Um, when, yes, c- certainly with Juneteenth, but um, any other ways that we are engaging culture, what are the things that the church needs to be um, careful of? So I'm going to give a framework, and I want I want the guys to respond to it. Okay. So you can push back, you can agree, you can, uh, and don't roll your eyes there, and, Derwin. And as a warning, if <laughs> if he gets worked up, he might stand up. So if you <laughs> see him standing up, he's he's getting yeah, worked he up. No. <laughs> yeah. So so here's and I say a framework. These are three big thoughts for this. Okay. The, the first pitfall is that I, I and I don't want to be skeptical of our culture, but I'm skeptical of this culture uh, because I'm skeptical of, uh, skeptical of any human culture because we have a tendency to push our own agenda and we have a tendency to abuse power. And mm. we, we see that throughout the history of civilization. And so I would definitely say we live in a cultural context now that each side loves to, in some sense, in, in their own way, and they wouldn't be honest about this, incite division. Yeah, And so... So I'm, I'm entering into a conversation in terms of a cultural conversation where depending on who's driving the conversation, I think that there's some, some ulterior motives behind some, some, some people. Yeah. So therefore, as the church, we have to be uh, innocent as doves and wise as serpents. And so I don't want to play the cultural game. Mm-hmm. I, I want to make sure that we honor the ultimate name, and that's Jesus, right? And oh. so that's why I, I'm not afraid to enter into these kinds of conversations, but I want to I do so on God's, God's agenda and in God's framework and not in some sense play the game, which leads me to number two, because some people would say, okay, why, why don't you make a big, a big to-do about these things on a weekend, 
Uh, well, because the weekend worship gathering is for Jesus and no other than Jesus, mm. which is why like, I want us to make sure that we do podcasts. Uh, we also have other avenues like social media and other things that we can recognize, we can honor, we can even celebrate uh, many of these things. But, but on the weekend worship gathering, I really want us, um, and I know that this is the heart of the governing elders and, and the staff, is that we want the weekend worship gathering to be centered around King Jesus. So when people leave, we want them, they left with Jesus, not that we celebrated something that our culture has said that we need to celebrate. So so one, I mean, mm. so one is that we want to be wise as, as serpents, innocent as doves, as we enter into uh, these cultural conversations. The second, we want to make sure that we protect the integrity of the corporate worship gathering. Yeah. And then the the third thing, and 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 this is um, and this is really more so uh, about something that I have really learned from the black culture, and that I really want people to know. This is what I've learned, and get your kind of feed, you know kind of feedback. Is but but really the black culture and the black church they can really teach the overall church, the big C church, a lot. And the three big things that they can teach the church is one about an exilic theology. Hmm. I mean, because they actually had to live that out. And 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 as the as, as the church now in the 21st century, we need to take we need to take a a a, uh, a play from the playbook of of the black church and go. We need to learn what it truly means to be as exiles. Yeah. The the second thing is a theology of suffering. Mm-hmm. Is that you, you know when when you look at what what the New Testament even teaches uh, about suffering. The, the black church and the, you know, the, the, the black people, they actually have shown us the church, here's how you suffer well. Hmm. Um, and then the third thing is, um, is really about this, this idea of worship. Uh, you, you know, hymnology, because one of the things that, you know, when, you, when, I, when I've studied um, the black church is that, I mean, you, you talk about conviction in their, in singing their theology hmm. that got, you know, and so, so that's something like the pitfalls and, and, I'm, I, and I, I, I share those three things that I've learned because the pitfall of the larger church and even I would say many, if not most white Christians, the pitfall is to not even learn from other brothers and sisters, you know, about their experience and how God has shaped them and how they can teach the the entire church about what it truly means to live out the gospel life. And so so those are kind of three things that when I think about pitfalls is, you know, don't don't avoid, you know, or you know, don't get sucked into a conversation on their, you know, kind of uh, you know, on, on their field. Sure. <laughs> uh, make sure that we protect the integrity of the church and particularly the corporate worship gather, gathering is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And then make sure that we avoid the pitfall of not not even being able to learn from uh, from other brothers and sisters. So those are the three big ideas that I thought about when I thought about that question. So thoughts, where am I? Yeah, yeah that's wonderful. I, I would say this is why diversity in worship is important. Um, some of the things that you mentioned, even the exilic thing, it, it comes across in how you worship. It comes across in the music. It comes across in, in, in the heart and the passion behind how you present, even in preaching and teaching music, all of it. And so it's important to make sure that we're, we're diverse and we're, we're trying to get there as a church, even in 
music from different heart languages, mm -hmm. specifically um, Spanish because of where we live in Central Florida. But these things are important to make sure that the different voices are and, and expressions of faith and expressions of our love and care for King Jesus come to the table. And so when we do that, everyone the, everyone wins. Mm. And um, the, the manifold gospel, the manifold presence of Christ is there because the, the, every tribe and every nation, if you will, get represented. So it's important for us to make sure that we continue to strive towards diversity. It's not something that we want to fake or something that we want to try and make happen, but it's something that it, it, it's easy when you have it around you, when you have different languages and different tribes and different tongues, and you include them. And that's why we even go on mission. All of that is because it's all important. It's, it's, the, it's the red, it's the yellow, it's the black, it's the white. And so um, the church needs to be an agent of leading out in this and not allowing the culture to dictate, but we create a different culture that's centered around Christ. Mm. So I have a, another thought, Pastor Durbin. Um, when Pastor Josh was talking about worship hymnology, you know, you have a passion of, of music. So can you just talk about, you know, this conviction of singing their theology? How have you seen that through the years? Yeah. Um, the idea of, um, of using worship in a way to, um, to really practice good right. theology. Well, what I've realized, and, and Vince, you can help me, because I didn't grow up in black church, although I, I love, um, and gospel music, when you say that, it's very broad. It's it's very broad, because mm. there's contemporary, there's And it's different from back in the, <laughs> from what I grew up Right, to. right. So it's all different now. Sure. But what what is true is a lot of gospel music, the focus does come from this up from where we were, and, and we're rising up to something, looking ahead, looking towards freedom, looking mm. towards the day that we are truly free. Hmm. And it comes because of, of being exiled and being um, captive. Hmm. And so that's reflected heavily in the music, but it's it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing of celebrating where we were, yeah. where we are now, but but not ending there. It's where we're going. And so all of that gets wrapped up in the worship, but then you also have the the celebratory. Even even you, if once you get deep into into music, you even have the different cadence of music. Mm. Uh, African American music. Uh, let me even say African music. There is a different cadence that, um, and and this is where we we kind of separate the boys and 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 the men because it really is a thing. I, I said it. I said it because it really is a thing of you know I, I kind of made a joke on on a couple Sundays ago when I preach and I said when some people dance they go down and when some people dance they go up and the music mm. and and how you express yourself with the music mm. it's it's different. So when I and I'll qualify now and quantify a lot of minorities when they dance they go down because there's a there's a different feel and expression to the cadence of the music so it's mm. down but a lot of people who are not of color they go up they they jump instead of pushing down hmm. and so there's it's it's you can go look in online and you'll see what I'm talking about but bottom line is that needs to be part of who we are and it's not a because missionaries have kind of messed things up a little bit yeah. where they've gone overseas and they've said okay 
the music has to be like this. It can't be syncopated. It must be like this because that's no dishonoring. No drums. No yeah. this. Yeah. Well, you, you're taking away, and and I know what they were doing. Yeah. Because some of what was going on was was worship of ancestors and syncretism, it was syncretism, African and all of that. Tribal religions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you you can't throw the baby out and the bathwater. You have to realize yeah. some of this is deep in the essence of who people are. Yeah. And and God created them with that. God created us to worship him and worship him how he has made us. And so it it has to be expressed. And I know, Vince, you've shared with me many times about our worship and about music and and how we can engage more people and and, and a a broader scope of people if we just add in a little bit of this or that. And we want to, and that's part of being diverse. Even this past weekend with Hamilton and you had some rap in there. Mm -hmm. Well, some would say that's sacrilege. No, it's not sacrilege. It's not. It's it's an expression. It's a Mm. way to express. And if we're careful, we will kind of elevate one over another because if you understand hymnology and understand where hymns came from, a lot of them, a lot of historical hymns that we still sing to this day, the tunes came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. The, the tunes came from the bar. They were oh. bar tunes. Yep. So so they, they, they present themselves a certain way, kind of these chants and all of this. Well, they came from bars. Mm-hmm. But we don't know that and so therefore we don't know it and it seems to be okay. Well, it's not okay. Now, does that mean that those tunes are inherently evil and bad? No. Mm. Because what makes them worshipful is the it's the context and the words that are presented. Mm. And so we just have to as a church be very mindful that there's so much connected to all of this, but not condemn one and lift ours up because we feel or we were told or we were instructed from a young age that this is important and this is better than the mm. other. Mm. Mm. Is that where spitting bars came from? <laughs> you, you need to stop. Stop. It yes. stop. stop it. <laughs> we'll we'll but, let but, you but have yeah, that. But, but I will, yeah, but I will say, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that you take Martin Luther and his, and his hymn, What a Mighty Fortress yes. is Our God. Oh, did I just steal your line again? No, okay. All right, well, here, I'll let you finish. I'll let you finish it. <laughs> no, no, go ahead, because I got plenty of other stuff here. I want to do. But I mean, yeah, he, he took it out, which Martin Luther, he was well known for brewing, you know, of uh, creating his own beer. So, anyways, mm. but he took, he took the tune Continue. from a bar and he. Wrote what a mighty fortress is our That's God, right. and so yeah. So, anyways, but yeah, you're kind of smart. Uh, well, no. Yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting is some would say that is one of the most powerful hymns. Yeah, it yes. has oh, nothing yeah. to do with the tune. It yeah. has everything to do with the, the lyrics. words, yeah. Yeah, which right. that's an element of you know the six things that I talked about in the first message of yeah. Hamilton yeah. is that we can critique culture. That means we can take something, and go, man, the underlying element of it is good. Yeah. We're just going to rework it. We're going to suggest something else and we're going we're to make it God glorifying. And so that's just another way that we critique it because we're not going to condemn it. We're, right. we're not going to condemn these things. And right. so we can we can critique it. I just thought about something. That means that Martin Luther was probably one of the first people to sample someone else's music. Hello. Oh. <laughs> How about that, huh? Hey, it goes way back. But you know, I, I, just to get back to the question, um, what what do we need to be aware of when engaging in cultures? There are two people who are who are distant mentors of mine. Mm. One was, and they're both gone now, but one was General Colin Powell, mm. who I absolutely adored. Mm. And then there was Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I need to always say that Reverend Doctor. He was a reverend. Yeah. He had a doctorate. Mm. Uh 
and his name was Martin Luther King Jr. And, and there was something that was said about in one of his speeches, it may have been from the Alabama, Birmingham jail, um, the drum major instinct speech. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the drum major instinct. Mm-mm. And he talks about how our culture must be first. Our culture must be significant. Our culture must rule the world. So much so that at another point in one of his writings, he mentions the fact that while in prison in a southern state, that one of the white jailers came to him and said, I want you to know that God is a charter member of the White Citizens Council. Now, can you believe that? Mm. That, In other words, what God made was not good Mm. because we are not here by accident. The shades of our skin, and we have different shades in this room right now. This is not an accident. God knew what he was doing. And with that being said, it gives another opportunity for us to point to why blacks are the ones who had this exilic experience. And it was because they were easily recognized in a society that was coming from Europe. When you can look down the street and you can determine between two people walking towards you, which one is one shade and which one is another shade. And you're going to have to enslave one of those. You enslave the one that first doesn't look like you, mm-hmm. but then the one that's easily recognizable. Cause see, I can't hide this, mm-hmm. right? What I am shows forth. So it's okay to say that we recognize color. Just don't allow ourselves to be influenced in our decisions mm-hmm. because of color. That's critical. So I also, I believe, and this is something I really want folks to hear if, if this makes the, the cutting. It will. I believe that blacks are the most forgiving people on the face of the earth. Mm. African-Americans. Because if you think about it, we have not tried to do to others what others have done to us. Hmm. Basically, what we've tried to do is we've tried to treat others like we would want to be treated. Hmm. And with that in mind, it's far beyond time for us to make sure that we are all treated, respected, and dealt with fairly and equitably. And so those are some of the things that I wanted to point out. But Pastor Josh, please stop stealing my thunder. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, at least least we're thinking, you know, along the same lines. So that's great. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. That's great. Joe, Um, got any final words before we wrap this up? Yeah, just to kind of add on to what we were talking about, the pitfalls. and, And we've said this a couple of times, but, you know, we are in a a culture, a country that has a lot of choices. And we've said it a couple of times, but keep the main thing the main thing. Mm, yeah. The main thing is God. The main thing is Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that we forget our diversity or forget other things that are important, mm. but keep the main thing the main thing. Because when we hold on to things that are not the main thing, we can't look for the main thing. We can't look at God because we're focusing on what has happened and bringing back in instead of looking forward, we're too busy looking at right now. And that's what culture wants you to do. 
And then some cultures are looking back instead of looking forward of, okay, mm. where am I going to spend the majority of my being mm. yeah. eternally in heaven? This is a short period of time. It doesn't mean I completely forget what has happened or, you know, forget the things that are going on now. But it's like, okay, I honor the past by focus, you know, by acknowledging it. But my focus is on the future. Yeah. How, where am I going? How can I make sure that future and maybe bring part of that future here where we talk those pockets of heaven here now where I am? Yeah. But that's where inclusion. I'm sorry, Pastor no, no, Josh, good, but that's bro. where inclusion comes in, because you see, color is ethnicity is mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do about that, Joe. There's nothing yeah. you can do about that. Derwin, Josh or Matt, there's nothing. you Color is right. Diversity exists. But inclusion has to be done with intention because what slavery demonstrated to us is we know well how to exclude. We can exclude based on height. We can exclude based on weight. And I know I'd be in a certain category if that were the case. <laughs> we can exclude based on where we go to school. Right. In many cases, only the top Schools get the Fortune 500 CEOs and whatnot, but we can also exclude based on skin tone. Mm. And that's something that we can only break by being intentional. Yeah. So as, uh, as we wrap up, thanks so much for all of y'all's engagement in this conversation. I, I hope and pray that it has been fruitful and beneficial for those of you who have listened. I, I end with this because this really shares the, the heart of Jesus and, and how we as a church should think about engaging culture, even in tough topics. And it comes from Matthew 22, when the Pharisees plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinions. For you are not swayed by appearances. Hmm. Then tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Hmm. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left. <laughs> they went away and left him alone. Hmm. And I think when it comes down to how we engage culture as, as biblical Christians, and I, I'm using that word intentionally, hmm. and that we follow the Jesus of the Bible – you're going to find us really navigating the the, the messiness of the middle, yeah. where where both sides would go. Oh wow, okay, you got us. Mm -hmm. And so so that's where you know we're asking for the Spirit's power and wisdom and discernment as we engage these topics. And uh, this won't be the only topic that we will ever engage in. But I'm grateful that you you all. Uh, have uh, entered into this conversation with us. And so Northland, family and friends, thank you for listening to this special episode of Extra Takes. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.